Welcome to the Red Room Podcast, episode 666. I'm your host, Scott Ryan, and we have a wonderful show for you today. I finally get to interview Cheryl Lee, who played, as we all know, Laura Palmer. I have been dying to do this interview for 27 years. She agreed to do it, but only if we did it live on the air. So we're about to start right now. I mean, this is just a dream come true for me. I can't imagine, and I can't, this is weird, my cell phone number, my cell phone's ringing. I'm just, please, if you could just, hello? Ben and Brian, it's Ben and Brian, the Twin Peaks boys from Twin Peaks Unwrapped. Um, thanks for calling, guys, but I'm really busy, uh-huh. Yeah, you want me to What? host your second annual Twin Peaks show. <laughs> Twin Peaks Unwrapped uh, year-end show, huh? Uh, really, guys, I have enough podcasts. You know what I'm saying? I got the Buffy podcast. I got the 30-something one, the Red Room, the Scott Luck stories. What I don't need is another... No, I, I don't think there's anything you could say that would convince me that I'm going to... I'm about to interview Cheryl Lee right now live on the show. Oh, thanks, Ben. Yeah, I'm sure you will interview her some other time, and it'll be great. But I have her now. I'm sorry, what? No, I didn't know you were taking pictures that night. At the Great, at the great Southern, that was a long time ago. It doesn't... You got audio? It's a you bastards. Oh, no. And you have video for what I did after that? Well, look, guys, Charlotte Stewart's forgiven me for what I did, and she even said that was her favorite dress. You're really gonna do it? YouTube? Vimeo? Post it on all my Facebook pages? Well, you know, my reputation doesn't mean anything, but I can't do this to Charlotte. Guys, I'll do anything, I swear. I'll do anything. What do I have to do to get you not to release this against me? You drive a hard bargain, but I'll do it. I'll host the show, and yes, Brian, I'll even sing the theme song. I got idea, Welcome to the second annual Best of Twin Peaks Unwrapped podcast. I'm your reluctant, I mean your grateful, grateful host, Scott Ryan, who used to be known as Mr. Cheryl Lee until he just didn't call her and missed an interview with her. But who cares about getting to hear from Cheryl Lee when you can hear from Michael Horse, who played Hawk? And he may have even mentioned some cast members being in season three before the cast list was even posted. Let's listen to this very important clip over listening to a new interview with Cheryl Lee. Well, shout out to all the Twin Peaks fans. You know, they're the greatest fans. Most people out there wondering if the, the new series is going to be good. Yes. I mean, uh, we're all being very secretive about it. But, you know, I thought with all this good, it's been the best television in the last 10 years I've ever mm. seen. Uh, you know, Fargo's wonderful. Oh, yeah. And Two uh, Detectives was probably one of the best thing I've ever seen in Game of Thrones. And Great stuff. I thought, you know, will the fans be disappointed? You know, about three days into doing it, I went, no, no, they won't. You know, uh, there's nobody like David. He made so many things possible, mm. David did. And shout-outs to Mark, too, you know. Yeah. But uh, he opened so many doors. And, you know, I didn't know how the new cast would be. And everybody was so... Uh, Kyle was so kind and so excited to see everybody and it's just wonderful and there's all kinds of new little hip kids that are going to be in it so awesome. i'm just and and i have some i have some great things to do. they were very generous with what i have to do in it and, and i'm pretty excited about yeah it. and you were you were recently on the the new twin peaks promo for showtime and yes. like oh you were so good and it was like i got shivers and it was like it, i felt like the mystery really what was alive it was amazing location sometimes becomes a character there's a lot of holy places up here, a lot of sacred places. I can't put my finger on how I would describe it. It just touches something in the psyche. It's almost like being in a moving painting. You know, 
I don't like to be interviewed, and I'm just sitting around with nothing to do, and they say, well, you talk to these guys, you know, and I, I want to be nice to them. So I wasn't, you know, trying to be deep or anything. I was just telling them how I feel. And the Hawk was a wonderful character. You know, he did away with some stereotypes, held some mirrors up to others. He had mm. a sense of humor. If I ever done anything in my career, that's something I can really, really be proud of. I'm going to tell you guys, when when you see uh, Andy and Lucy in this one, you're just going to, you know, you're going to bust up. They're better than they ever were. Fans, are they're, they're, they're not going to be disappointed. Well, that must have just been amazing to get to talk to someone who was actually on Twin Peaks, like an actor or something, and then record it and share it with the internet. Wow. It just must be wonderful to be Ben and Brian. And they started off this year with interviewing... Michael and Keith, who started the Citizens Opposing the Offing of Peaks, COOP. This was the 1991 campaign that saved Twin Peaks. What, did it not work until 2017 that it's coming back? I'm not sure. Let's listen in and find out. It really kind of started out as well. We had a group of friends who wanted to were you know, pretty upset, you know, bummed out that the show was on hiatus, probably wasn't going to come back on the air. We couldn't afford any of this. We were 20-something new guys in, in mm. Washington. We knew a lot about PR and we had the technique. Both of us had just come off a national presidential campaign. Mm. So we knew all about media markets and how to move the needle. But we had no money. So in order to do it, we got permission from David Lynch to make an official... Twin Peaks t-shirt that he would just give us exclusive license to. It wouldn't bother us about license fees. Brian and I can't go and, and find his phone number and call David Lynch yeah. up and say, hey, uh, can you do this? <laughs> how, how did you reach out well, to David Lynch? Well, that's that's a great story, and we and we actually did. I mean, that's, that's the beauty of how this thing happened, just like the reporters. David Lynch called me at my office. Wow. Um, and, I mean, I'm saying I can, I mean, I can still, I can still remember that day when I picked up the phone, and it was like, Keith, David Lynch here. And he was like doing like, like all the, he's like, I want to tell you what a great job I think y'all are doing. And, and, and I'm sitting there thinking, I'm like, and he, and he kind of paused and I'm like, I was like, I'll fuck you, like, you know, it's like, you know, I'm like, I was sort of laughing, like, I know this. He thought it was uh, me. Yeah, <laughs> and then Mark Frost was on the phone too. And I was just, you know, at that point, I was kind of like, holy shit, you know, that was, it was really something. And, and that's when he said, I really appreciate what y'all are doing and, um, you know, let me know, you know, what we can do to, to help. I, we, we think it's making a difference. In two and a half weeks, we had over 10,000, was it 10,000, Keith? About wow. 10,000, I think, right. Yeah. In two and a half weeks, we, we gathered the names and addresses and telephone numbers of 10,000 people and that was via U.S. mail. Mm, wow. Something. You hear about uh, viral videos. Can you imagine what we could have done if we had the Internet at our fingertips? That, right. ABC would have been would have been underwater. <laughs> I mean, we had a, a reviewer who wrote something we thought was insulting about the show. So we sent out a mail, a mailer, which cost us each one 25 cents or a little mm. more, encouraging people to send that writer a can of cream corn. <laughs> and we understand that that person was buried in cans of, of cream corn. Everybody's talking about Agent Cooper. Hard behind. Still in holding cream corn. Bob Iger, here's a fact. Twin Peaks, we want it back. All we are saying I'm a is give Peaks a chance. I'm going to get what I want. All we are saying Damn. is give Peaks a chance. I wonder if maybe they could start a new campaign to save me from getting my Cheryl Lee interview back. You know what? It's time I just get past it. I can't keep this up anymore. I, of course, love the Twin Peaks boys. They get interviews with people like Richard Saul Werman. I mean, come on. Who doesn't know him, right? Well, actually, he was the guy that put the Twin Peaks Access Guide together which for years was kind of something that maybe didn't seem that crucial to the story of Twin Peaks. But now with Mark Frost's new book, I've actually been going back to the Access Guide and comparing. So the boys were smart this time. They got Richard when the rest of us were looking the other way. Let's listen to Richard talk. I know you have questions for me, but I would like to start off with what seems like a simple-minded question, but it's how did you find me? This I, I did Twin Peaks Access a number of years ago, but it's one of the oddest things I've done in my life. If you've taken the trouble to Google me, you will see that. <laughs> it's not, it doesn't have a major place in my curriculum vitae. I've done 
90-some books, and there's, this was a one-off strange experience to do this book, which was triple and quadruple jokes on itself. <laughs> and I hope you have a copy. Do you, did you find a copy? I've been a fan for uh, 25 years, so I, I think whenever this first came out, I think it was June of 91, and as soon as it came out, I bought it. So I, I have a, a torn a, a torn book from 25 years ago here. But I... I'm I'm 81 years old now. <laughs> wow. And 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 uh, I've done about 90 some books and several of them major atlases and things on uh, learning theory and, and cartography and uh, a lot of guidebooks to cities. And uh, this was just something that occurred that. Uh, Somebody knew somebody and said, this would be funny to do, to do a uh, takeoff on your access guides, which were very popular at this time, mm. and uh, to make fun of your access books at the same time making fun of Twin Peaks and do a kind of layered joke on joke on joke mm. on it. And it, if you do really read it, you'll see it's very odd. All the maps, all the street names are street na are named after my kids and friends, oh. <laughs> and all the maps were. I, we did all the maps from scratch. They don't, of course, they, nothing is meaningful in the whole thing. The whole thing is a made-up fantasy. I went up to the out to the set and you know sat at the counter, got some inspiration there, and David Lynch took the photo on the cover, and he took the photos of the taxicab section of the book. He took those photos, wow. and they're all meant to be fuzzy and out of focus. Everything's meant to be look very uh, unprofessional and then the opening letter to the book a letter from the mayor is is to me and gives me permission to do this book for the city and i mean it's all <laughs> very funny piece but i will tell you that some of the strange things about this when in the doing this when i did this i was also doing a lot of work in japan and they all had it in japanese it was translated into japanese That's so and it was translated into dutch oh, it was wow. translated into about 10 different languages this book it was a, it was a strange uh, a strange exercise yeah i wasn't sure what your involvement was because i mean I think on the binder there, it mentions you, Lynch and Frost. Then in the back, it brings up uh, writers from the show and other people, art direction, but there's no mention of you. So it was so unclear what your involvement with the book was. Done by my office. We did mm -hmm. all the, the layouts. We did all the artwork. Uh, Michael Everett worked for me. He was the art director of it for me. But then some of the writers all contributed ideas of what we could, you know, research and write and do things. And most of them came out of uh, Michael Everett and myself thinking of these things to do. Yeah, there's some interesting uh, things where there was like like the Bookhouse Boys and they had like a passion play. And well, we just made up our own thing. I mean, we were trying to mirror the show and take it to an even odder place. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, when we showed that hand with fingers cut off, you know, and that didn't appear in the show, we just made up that joke. That was all. That's something. And so did you did you go to, like, Twin Peaks scripts, too? Did you, like, research it through? Well, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. It's a long time ago, but I yeah. went out to the set. And I talked to people. We talked to some of the, the various people on the show, and we then just dreamed about how what silly place we could take everything. Great job, guys, thinking about getting the Twin Peaks Access Guide author. Now we move on to someone who is special and dear to my heart, and not just because somewhere out there there's video footage that could ruin both our careers. The boys landed an interview with Charlotte Stewart, who played Betty Briggs, and of course, was in David Lynch's Eraserhead. This time, she talks about being in David Lynch's bed. Why not? Back in the day, and still, you know, as of today, I will always work for a student filmmaker. Mm. You know, it, I don't care if it pays or not or whatever, but time I had done several uh, student films for, you know, USC students and UCLA and all. I got a call. My my roommate at the time was working with Jack Fisk as a volunteer mm. at AFI, American Film Institute. And she came home and she said, there's this director, student director who's looking for an actress. And I told him my roommate's an actress. And he said, great. So he came to dinner with his wife, Peggy. And he brought the script, and I was cast as Mariette. So <laughs> I had, I had just, I was doing the Waltons at the time, mm. and then I had, I, I started Little House on the Prairie right after that. But you know, you probably know about Eraserhead. It took about four years to shoot, yeah. about four years to edit, and um, so for the next four years, I was in and out of. Uh, Little House in the Prairie, Miss Beetle costumes, and back mm -hmm. into Mary X. I never expected that. When the movie was released, or before it was released, he showed it to us at AFI, and it was about 
I think at the time it was about two and a half hours long. Wow. And he said, he said, what do you think? Mm-hmm. David, I think it, it, it's like a toothache. It hurts <laughs> so bad. Wow. <laughs> he said, swell. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> yes, I, uh, he had in mind to shoot a scene where uh, Henry, put, in the middle of the night, pushes on Mary's stomach and breaks through into her womb and huh. finds all these fetuses. And so he had... This is before we started shooting. I had to had to go to his house, lay down on a on a cot or a bed, and he painted me with this moulage. It's called. It's like a rubber huh. kind of rubberized mixture, and then plaster of Paris cast. And this is from just below my chin all the way down to my pubic hair. Oh my! Naked. I had no. I didn't know David. <laughs> I had my roommate with me there, Doreen. Wow. And. And we had to do that. And, you know, I mean, I just went ahead and did it, you know. And it turned out he couldn't use it. Uh-huh. Um, it did, the effect didn't work very good. Um, so he gave me the cast. I have it to this day. To this day? Isn't that something? That's cool. I, I have it hanging in my bedroom. And when I was just up in North Bend to shoot the new Twin Peaks, I finished my day of shooting, and I went over to give him a hug goodbye. And he says to the entire room, crew, and everybody, you know, I have Charlotte naked in my bed. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> and I just said, I just looked at him and smiled. <laughs> we just left it at that. <laughs> it is always a delight to hear from Charlotte Stewart. And if you have not purchased her wonderful book, Little House in Hollywood Hills, you need to go right out there and get it because it's an amazing book. Another amazing writer was Harley Payton. He wrote some of the best episodes of Twin Peaks throughout season one, and then wrote maybe some of the lesser known ones in season two. But what really matters is he wrote the episode that I love. I think it's around episode 26. I call it the happy scene when Annie and Coop have that dialogue and David Lynch has his time with Shelley. It it might actually be my all-time favorite Twin Peaks scene. And Harley was a great writer. Let's listen to the boys interview Harley Payton. Oh, yeah, mine, I came to it kind of in the same way. In other words, Mark and I were both in the same baseball stat league, right? <laughs> and, and, he, and he had a team with Bob Engels, and they were, they were in, this, in this league, and that's really how we met. And we became very friendly over time based on that. And then one day he called me and said, look, I... I did this TV pilot with, you know, with David Lynch, of all people. Mm. You should come see it. We're doing a screening at the Director's Guild. So I went to it, saw that two-hour pilot. Like everybody else there, just had my mind blown. Yeah. And I actually went, I went up to Mark in the lobby afterwards to congratulate him and said, look, if you need, I mean, I've never written television before. But if you need anyone to write an episode, um, just call me because I'm ready to go. And he, uh, luckily for me, he then, you know, said, great, come and write, I guess it would have been the third. And he was so happy with that. That he said, "Oh boy, come back and write number six. He did hmm. that as well in that first in that first group, and then came back as a producer and writer in the second season. But as some, you know, they, they say it's who you know in a weird way, and that's one of those circumstances where it's just based on our friendship. And as you said, Mark liked to bring in a lot of people who we know him, and, and Rick Giolito in Invitation to Love was his brother-in-law. So huh, yeah. you know, there's all that. You know, he was very great about he was very good about that. But that's really how it, it kind of started for me, and it was obviously a pretty substantial break." Yeah, and I, I don't know if it was a Brad Duke's Reflections book, but somewhere you had mentioned it was like midnight. Mark, Mark Frost calls you and says he likes uh, episode three script. That it was like, well, yeah, I, yes, yes, that's true. I, I'd written the third episode. I had no idea what they would think. I mean, it was the very, it was the, of course, Laura Palmer's funeral. I went in all sorts of crazy directions with it and had a great time writing it. Um, and really, the process was very much like it would be throughout the entire show, which was you'd sit down with Mark, he would go through an outline with you that he and David had worked on or a story, and then you're given a lot of free within those scenes to kind of navigate as you, as you could. And so that's how, I, but you know, I had no idea how he'd react, but yeah, the phone rang. It was like close to midnight <laughs> and he had just, he had, he had just finished reading the script and look, he was thrilled. And, and I came to know later why he was thrilled because when you're running a television show, just to know that you have a writer who can write something that you feel you're not going to have to rewrite substantially mm. that you can count on. It's, it's a rare thing. And yeah. it's, and it's something that, you know, when you read it, you know it. 
So I, I didn't really realize that then, but that's certainly what he was reacting to. And, and yeah, from that moment on, we were sort of joined at the hip. We became great friends during the course of the show. And we used to have lunch every day and hmm. talk about it, try to figure things out. And again, I mean, it was an extraordinary experience for me. I want to say, going back to the first season, that just so everybody knows that, you know, you were nominated for an Emmy for that uh, episode three for Outstanding Writing in a Drama Series. So, I mean, I think you yeah. should have won. It was an, It's an amazing episode, the funeral yes, episode. I mean, like, I mean, every scene is incredible. Like, I think, I mean, there's just so incredible beats for each scene. Great television. I mean, yeah. what a wonderful job you did with that script. In my experience, and even over the years, the best episodes of television that you write are ones that have a sort of thesis and have a, a kind of idea behind them. And you don't always have the opportunity to do that. But because this was Laura's funeral, it was really just, it was an episode about death. And so everything I wrote over, that's what I was always thinking about the, how these various characters are going to respond to that. Hmm. And, you know, that's very rich material and the actors were all so wonderful. So, and that was just a lucky break. I mean, you know, when Mark said to me, here's what's happening at three, I just thought, oh man, I, I knew hmm. that I was in very good shape. I was in very good shape right from the start. Yeah. And I think in the second season, at least Todd Holland had said that like uh, David Lynch had some kind of exhibit in Japan and he maybe was doing other things because it seems like he wasn't always around in the second season. It's always not clear. Well, yeah, it's the weird thing. That's, I mean, this is, I mean, I've talked about this a lot because I, I feel like it's, it's just not my memory. Hmm. In other words, in the first season, because he was doing Wild at Heart, and he just wasn't there that much. I mean, he was yeah. certainly, he and Mark were, you know, Mark were obviously constantly working on all the stories and all that stuff came out of the both of them. Um, but in the second season, look, David's office was right across the way from mine. And, and actually, and, the, and to me, the real absence in that season, although I'm sure Todd may be right about, you know, Japan, yeah. but the real absence in that season um, was Mark, hmm. because Mark went, off to, Mark went off to direct the movie. Yeah, Storyville. Um, uh, story so, yeah, something that, by the way, I, I know he probably wishes he hadn't done now in the full hmm. time. But yeah, he left to direct the movie, and, and it's funny you should mention Todd Holland, because the reason I know David was there and very involved is that Todd called me one night, and this was my midnight phone call. <laughs> And he said, look, I just, I, just, I just got off the phone with David and he had all these notes, but my whole day is set for tomorrow morning. I can't really shoot what I planned because of the things that he was talking to me about. And I said, look, shoot your day exactly like you planned it and I'll handle this. Um, and then I talked to Mark, who I think was probably then in New Orleans, and said, look, you, you, David can't give notes, you know, at 11 at night, the night before we're shooting. It makes it impossible for production. What are the kind of conversations you have on any television show? And he said, fine, no problem. I'll take care of it. And I got a phone call from David the next day, which I remember to this day, he was not too happy. <laughs> this, was baby, this was before meditation, I guess. Oh. And so it was, and so believe me, he was there. And and very active. I mean, he you know he directed a bunch of episodes. Yeah. And, you know, so it's and maybe he you know Dave was always doing a lot of stuff. But the weird there is this weird urban legend that you know David was there in season one and gone in season two, and that's just not true. Harley is always super entertaining, and it was great to hear from him. He's also wonderful on Twitter. So if you're not following him on Twitter, you're really missing out. Uh, I have to say, I'm kind of liking this. This this is pretty good. Maybe I'll do this for a living now. Just go on other people's podcasts and do their best of. I mean, they have a lot of celebrities. So it's, it's all been those people. That's probably why they haven't had a clip of me on, but they're probably not doing just regular people or anything. But let's see who we have up next here. We've got um, Joel Bacco from Lost in the Movies. He's a blogger. I'm a blogger. I mean, they have him on there? I mean, I guess. So maybe he you know, has something really great to say. Let's let's listen in on Joel Bacco. This week I want to talk about um, a heavier subject, but it's one that's absolutely at the heart of Twin Peaks, which is uh, incest and sexual abuse. There's a famous quote from 1990 where somebody says, uh, maybe Twin Peaks has nothing at all in, in its pretty little head except mm. for the desire to please. It was actually revealed that, in fact, there was a very deep subject at its core. Um, and that subject was the fact that the, the, the central victim, the character who everybody is investigating, was the victim of sexual abuse, and that that was why she died, and that her, her murderer was her father. Oftentimes what they'll do is they'll manipulate the, the victim, and they'll tell themselves or, or tell the victim that it's consensual. And that's something you see very clearly in the film, uh, mm. because Leland says he has several, several scenes with Laura where it's implied that that's the kind of relationship that's going on here in his mind. Um, now, she's brought in Bob to kind of, well, I mean, there is, there, there's an evil presence there as well, 
that's an external force, but there's also a sense in which she's using Bob to block out her father so that she doesn't have to see the truth. Um, but from Leland's point of view, I don't think he sees Bob. I don't think he's aware of his presence. I think his rationalization is that he, him and his daughter have, as horrible as it sounds, in his mind, they have a consensual relationship, mm. and it's a secret, and they don't talk about it openly. And you see that in that scene where they're in the car, and she says to him, you know, were you there on Saturday? What was? And finally he admits to it, yeah, I was there on Saturday. And he says, you know, um, why were you, were you, I didn't see you there. Were you, uh, were you out of school? What, what were you doing there? And there's this kind of undercurrent to their whole conversation of him sort of implying, look, you know, you know, you know the rules of this game, Laura. What, what are you trying to do here? We don't talk about this. Hmm. Um, and you see it a few more times when he goes into a room and, and tries, well, what's going on? I, what's happening here? And most importantly, you see it in the end. And this is the most unequivocal point because at this point, and I talked about this on your previous episode, it's not, a, it's, it's, it's clearly distinguished from Bob, who's standing on the other side of Laura. Leland looks up at her and he says, your diary, I always thought you knew it was me. So for the past week, what we've basically been watching, in addition to Laura discovering that her father is her abuser, we've been watching Leland discover that she didn't know this, that, that he was raping her, basically. The whole thing with the necklace, where he sees the necklace at the table, and he's like, oh. Oh, I did want to bring that up. A yeah. secret lover. And it seems like, it almost is like, in his mind, she's cheating on him. Yeah. I yeah. never got that until just now. Yeah. Right. That's a great point. Desire of the father to, 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 to keep the daughter within the house, to keep her under his control. And that's something you see throughout with Leland, is he has this obsession with power and control, possibly because he was abused as a child. The, the stereotype of child molester, what are you going to think of? Well, I would suggest, you know, one of the first images that might come to mind is a creepy-looking, long-haired guy in, like, a jean jacket mm. uh, who you see out of the corner of your eyes, and you're mm. just like, oh, now that's exactly what Bob is. And mm. what you have there at its best is a real subversion of um, this notion that the middle-class home is where everything is safe and protected, and outside of that is this dangerous, troubled world. The last quote I want to read, extra-diegetically, this is from Murder, Incest, and Damn Fine Coffee, says, extra-diegetically, Bob is actually making visible this idea of domestic violence, quite literally giving a face to the change that comes over someone engaged in this act, the dual personality so many accounts refer to. Well, great job, Joel. That was actually very entertaining. He always is. Um... I mean, I, I don't know why there couldn't be me in there, but, you know, that was that was fine. Let's see who we have next up. John Thorne. Isn't that the guy that came up with the worst theory about Twin Peaks of all time? They're going to have him on here? I mean, okay, yeah, he co-founded Wrapped in Plastic and is known in select groups as the godfather of Twin Peaks, although rumor has it he's the one that coined that own name for himself. Godfather of Twin Peaks, um, I got news for you. Dear Meadow, it's real, my friend. It's real. Theory is, very simply, is that the first 30 minutes, the entire, what I call, Dear Meadow prologue, from the time the television gets smashed to the time we see the Twin Peaks sign and the music plays, that 30 minutes, that entire sequence, is Dale Cooper's dream. But the critical thing to remember is that all of that Dear Meadows sequence was scripted for Cooper initially anyway. They expected Kyle MacLachlan to portray Cooper throughout that, to play the part that Chet Desmond, Chris Isaac plays. Kyle MacLachlan pulled out. Lynch was left in a quandary. He had to find something. They recast the character, but, the, but they left most of the dialogue the same. And that's not what Lynch had intended when he scripted the film. He intended Cooper to be there. He intended Cooper to be there for a reason. So I believe he found a way, maybe just in his own mind, maybe it's just in my own mind. He found a way, if you think of it as a dream, to keep Cooper prominent in that as he wanted him to be from the beginning. I was talking to David Bushman at the Great Southern and Scott Ryan, both of whom do not agree with it. And I think one of the things that I saw you know, when they were talking about it is some people think when I say that the entire Deer Meadow prologue is a dream is that it didn't happen. Mm. Is that Cooper dreamed the death of Teresa Banks, he, that it never happened, that he dreamed that it, and this was all just in his head. And that is not what my theory is. My theory is 
that he did go and investigate Teresa Banks and failed at finding out who her killer was, and he relived that investigation in a dream. And then, of course, you've got the first line that Cooper says is, I'm worried about that dream I told you about. I was worried about today because of the dream I told you about. You immediately, you know, clued in something about dreams. What dream? He never, we never find out, if, again, if you're reading it just on the surface, mm -hmm. what dream is he talking about? It seems very important. He's telling Gordon Cole, I'm worried about that dream. Okay. By the way, that line was not scripted in the original script. It was mm -hmm. added later. Um, and then, of course, Philip Jeffries comes in and says, And that's dream. We live inside a dream. We live inside a dream. Mm. So I think I took that very literal. <laughs> so yeah. maybe they are living inside a dream. Uh, Stanley says again, we sure could use a good wake me up. As if mm. he's trying to wake him up, trying to wake up Cooper. And it's at that moment weird things happen. Suddenly Carl Rod goes into a trance. I just want to stay here. I've been places. Yeah. The weird old lady comes in. You know, she comes up the step. Mm. There's a different, there's a shift in point of view. The camera zooms in. Energies are in motion during this wake me up line. If it is a dream, then the dream has to have some important function in the narrative. And I also believe that it, because of the dream, that Cooper is made aware of these Red Room Black Lodge forces that he has never been aware of before. And so Philip Jeffries comes in and says, I've been to one of their meetings, it was a convenience store, and the ring, the ring, and you see all these, you know, this sort of crash of imagery of strange things that are happening. I believe if it's a dream that Cooper is actually receiving that imagery, that he's suddenly made aware of stuff that, that he did not know about before. So there he was, the godfather of Twin Peaks, John Thorne, talking with the Twin Peaks boys. It's nickname meets nickname. If you haven't picked up John's essential wrapped in plastic from Amazon, you've got to do it. It's an amazing book. It takes all of wrapped in plastic and puts it in one place. It's just, it's wonderful. You can really get some great essays and theories from John. Now, if you want to get the true story of Twin Peaks from the people who created it, that's when you go to Brad Dukes and his book, Reflections, An Oral History of Twin Peaks. This book was so much fun to read because you actually get to hear from everyone. And Brad, of course, came on the show, Twin Peaks Unwrapped, to talk about his book. And my first question is really like, why do you love Twin Peaks? I mean, you've written a book. I mean, some of your shows, some of your podcasts have been on Twin Peaks. What is it about Twin Peaks that you love so much? It's just ingrained uh, in my my soul and my being. <laughs> <laughs> and I, aside from watching the show, God knows how many times, and going up to the festival and making so many friends. I mean, I literally swap text messages with my Twin Peaks friends every day. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> so... I mean, if if something happens with Twin Peaks, I I get a text message from my own mom. So Aww. it's impossible for me to escape it, especially with the upcoming revival on Showtime. So tell us, how did you get involved? How did you start this new po podcast? It's not just about Twin Peaks, but it, I mean, the the Brad Duke show. How did that come yeah. about? Well, ever since I finished Reflections, I <laughs> needed a creative outlet, and I just realized I love having conversations with people I find interesting. Mm. And it's nice to have a forum that I own completely and that I can reach out to whomever I please. So it's really nice, and I, I just love documenting people's lives and their stories. And I've really enjoyed it. I mean, you had yeah. one show that was on, on the movie Clue, and you've had, you've had a bunch of really interesting, besides Twin Peaks, really great guests. Yeah, and I think I really needed... <laughs> Some kind of outlet, especially in 2016, uh, because we've got another year before Twin Peaks comes back. Yep. I figured I better make the best of some time before things get really crazy. Cool. <laughs> and we both recently just had uh, uh, Harley Payton on the show, and that was yes. pretty cool to for us both to get to interview him. Yeah, I love Harley so much. He is so funny. And one thing, when I was doing my book and my old website, when I would be typing out Harley's words, I would just think to myself, I'm not doing this guy justice because... He's just so funny and and insightful when you talk to him, and he's yeah. really got he's got this sense of humor that you can really tell. That's the guy who made some of uh, Albert Rosenfield's greatest hits. 
It's true. Yeah. Yeah. When we spoke to him too, that you know, that uh, I had heard that there was supposed to be, there was talk about actually doing an Albert spinoff, and and I guess Harley didn't remember hearing anything about that. But I said, you know, you really should have been the executive producer if there had been a, a spinoff <laughs> of Albert. I know David and Mark wrote all of the upcoming Showtime Twin Peaks, but I do wish Harley could have had one path at some of those characters just to pepper in some of his uh, trademark quotes. Definitely. Yeah. And at the end of that episode, uh, you got to read a Steven Spielberg letter to ABC. Can you share with us how you got that letter? Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> this is kind of funny. I had a longstanding email uh, correspondence with Michael Ontkeen while I was doing my book, and he really didn't want to talk to me on the phone, so we would just swap emails. Hmm. I mean, I don't know how many we've traded over time, but one day he found this big box of... Uh, Twin Peaks memorabilia he had kept with pictures and stuff. And uh, I just remember looking down at my phone and he had attached it on an email. It was so interesting to read that, uh, what Steven Spielberg had to say. As I mentioned in our conversation, I have this letter that Michael Ontkeen had sent me that Steven Spielberg had written to Bob Iger, the president of ABC Entertainment back in the day, while Twin Peaks was on indefinite hiatus. There was a real-life cliffhanger where Twin Peaks was almost canceled. And, and thousands of fans rallied the cause for Twin Peaks to save it from cancellation. So the letter is dated February 25th, 1991. Here we go. Dear Bob, I was very sorry to hear that based on low ratings, you've decided to take Twin Peaks off the air. For whatever it's worth, I wish that you would reconsider this decision. Twin Peaks has been my favorite show on television, the best drama series I can remember for the last several years. Yes, it is entirely esoteric, erratic, and sometimes even erotic, but it's an oasis in the television experience in which to find imagination, originality, and good mystery. I'm slowly understanding the television ratings game, especially on the network level. I'm sure you'll agree that Twin Peaks would still be running if it were produced by HBO, Showtime, or one of the other numerous cable television stations. I would hope that ABC, in staying competitive with not only their arch-rivals NBC, CBS, and Fox, but also with the ever-increasing share of the market being taken over by cable, would wish to please millions of Twin Peaks fans and viewers like myself, who are perhaps less the majority in our TV tastes, and much more particular at what we enjoy by not only renewing Twin Peaks, but also rescheduling it on a weeknight. All my best, Steven Spielberg. Wow, Steven Spielberg. He called Showtime 25 years ago. Well done, sir. I'm just thinking this could maybe be my new job. Like I'll just go from podcast to podcast and support other people and everything. Let's, let's, I mean, this is just so awesome to not even be on this damn show. Let's see. Next they have on the person who cut the hair of little Nikki's mom in real life. Oh, I'm not playing this clip. No. Now this is ridiculous. We don't even care about little Nikki. Why would we care about her mom's hairdresser? They talk to them? No, no. This, I'm taking over here. We're gonna play a clip from Mr. Shara Lee, or the former Mr. Shara Lee, Scott Ryan, about his documentary, A Voyage to Twin Peaks, which played at the Great Southern, and of course it played hours before some horrible video footage was taken and and landed me here. Let's listen to Scott. As the 25th anniversary of Twin Peaks approached, I decided it was finally time to make that trip that I'd been invited to back in 93. My wife and I purchased tickets to the 2015 Twin Peaks Fest. I'd waited long enough. It was time to go see the place where the world of Twin Peaks was created. Scott Ryan from the Red Room Podcast. You just had your premiere of your new film. How did it go? Uh, I think it went really well. I was very excited. I couldn't believe the reaction, to be honest with you. Um, mostly from Charlotte Stewart, who plays Betty Briggs in Twin Peaks. She was there. And as soon as it was over, she came up to me and just said, way to go, Scott. And I don't know, that it means more than, it's hard to express. You know what I mean? Like, to have someone from Twin Peaks like what you make about Twin Peaks that's it was just awesome it was a great great day the love of the fest is there that is what Charlotte Stewart said um, I know that on this podcast that people are tuning in right now you will hear Charlotte Stewart do a reading and she but she mentions my film and that was like a highlight of my entire life I'm going to start in the 
fairly middle of the book. Uh, it's around page oh, 84. And um, just a little background, which is the other part of this chapter. I, at the time, um, was living with a man. Um, I'm, I'm just, I'm sorry. I, that movie that I just watched tonight just completely uh, undid me, seeing Catherine and all that. So, okay, I'll catch my breath. I was living with a man named Robert Greenfield, and he was a... John Thorne from Wrapped in Plastic, he told me that he felt that that was the highlight, you know, my film. And I'm not, I'm not bragging, you know. I'm trying to decide what do I do with this. You know, I'm a, I'm a comic at heart, and, you know, I'd rather someone say, your film really sucked, you know. Uh, but to take complimentary comments is... It's not my strong suit. It's not the Ryan way, you know what I'm saying? That's why Brad Dukes and I are thinking of filming a mockumentary sequel to it called Two Assholes Voyage to Twin Peaks, where we just screw up everything. So look for that. That's what's, what's next. You're asking me what's next? It's Two Assholes Go to Twin Peaks. Well, that really classed up the show, I felt. I mean, that's that really went into something there. Now this podcast is starting to feel real comfortable. While we're feeling all classy here, we've got Francine from The Pink Room, the David Lynch burlesque. They hold the only Miss Twin Peaks pageant in the U.S. And it is this January at Joe's Pub in New York. You can go out to FrancineBurlesque.com for more information. And I know, I know what you're asking. Am I going to enter? Okay, well, here's the thing. From what I understand, if you win the Miss Twin Peaks contest, 25 years later, you just totally disappear. So it's not worth it for me. Let's listen to Francine. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks. I remember uh, we had you on, and, and you were telling us about a Miss Twin Peaks event that was happening, I think, around in December. That that event actually sold out, didn't it? Yeah, well, actually, in December, we had our X-Files burlesque show, ah. and then the following month, at the end of January, we had the Miss Twin Peaks pageant, and it was the second year in a row it sold out. It sold out even earlier this year, wow. though. Um, it was like, I think, a week beforehand, it was basically sold out. So, uh, yeah, it was an amazing show, amazing attendance. The audience is always was fantastic and I won this year and what did you dress up as well I, sh- I should say I, I didn't win I should say Nadine Hurley won ah. um, so it was, uh, she's been competing for the past five years um, so I'm, I'm excited that awesome. she has finally has title. <laughs> uh, and then the next thing for us is we're doing the Miss Twin Peaks pageant which is going to be on uh, Mark this in your calendars January 21st this year very cool or wow. next year yeah. <laughs> 2017. Awesome. I feel like you just had one I know. last January. <laughs> right? Yeah, right. I yeah. know. It seems like yesterday, right? Oh I won. Gosh. I keep forgetting. I won. I missed Twin Peaks. There you go. Yes. I keep for- I keep forgetting. I need to wear my tiara more often. Uh. Do you think you're going to win again? <laughs> no. I don't, I don't think so. Uh-huh. I, 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 that's, I think that's against the rules. Two uh-huh. years in a row? Yeah. Yeah, that can't. <laughs> now, is it a surprise w- uh, what the theme is going to be or what you're gonna character you're going to be? Um, that's going to be a surprise. Yeah. I will say this, that we are going to mix it up a little bit this year. So people who have seen it, uh, we're still going to have, you know, your fan favorite characters and all that, but they're going to be new performances and some new surprises. So I'm really excited to put that together. Yeah. And maybe we'll even know when the new series comes back. Maybe they'll have a date for us. I keep thinking maybe February 2017, they'll, they'll bring the new show. I'm but. hoping. I, I hope so. I'm really excited to find out the date. It's the moment I find out the uh, exact air times of it, I will clear my calendar. <laughs> 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 so I can watch it in real time. Really? I know. We get to watch it real time. Yeah. And get to experience it. We got to wait every week. Right. And it might be split into two seasons. Yep, there's talk about that. I don't know. We I don't think mm. we know we talked about this on the air, Brian, but there also talk about releasing it in the theaters. They it, haven't been clear what they're gonna do. It could be like the season premiere in yes, the theater. Yeah, right. That'd be kind of cool to actually go to a theater and see new twins. They Peaks. they do that now yeah. with Game of Thrones. Do they? Um the season oh, premiere. Really? Yeah, select cities, they put the season premiere in the theater. That would be a lot of fun, but you'd have to find a special yeah. theater that's doing it in your area. Yeah. Ben and myself were huge Lost fans in the final season mm. they did a special in the movie theater That's right. the Q&A and me yeah. and Ben we went to it it, and was, it was live too it was live. live satellite where we sat down before and... the final episode yeah, yeah. yeah it was a lot That'd of fun. fun yeah 
Francine, do you want to share with everybody how they, they yeah. can reach you, how they can get uh, go to the pink room? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think you can check on my website, FrancineBurlesque.com, and there's a whole segment on the pink room there. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. That's that's the best way, honestly, for me personally, because then I can interact with people. If they have questions, you can tweet at me. I'm at Francine D. So that's F-R-A-N-C-I-N-E-D. Or you can follow uh, Pink Room Burly Q is also on Twitter. And you can find me on Facebook, The Pink Room's on Facebook and Instagram and all that fun stuff too. So Yeah. Cool. Yeah. The this Pink a- it's the Pink Room David Lynch Burlesque. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. This has been so much fun. I'm guessing the reason they had me host this instead of Francine is because this is sound only and, you know, if I have a feeling if it was on television or YouTube, I would not be the host. As you may know, I watched Twin Peaks when it originally aired back in 1990 and have been a fan for the last 25-26 years. Brian, as you may know, watched Twin Peaks a whole 45 minutes ago, therefore of course he's interviewed Mark Frost and I haven't. Seems totally fair to me. But Mark Frost came on the show to talk about the secret lives of Twin Peaks. And I should maybe take this time to follow out a court order that Barnes and Nobles gave me to say that that whole story I put on YouTube um, about purchasing (laughs) the secret lives of Twin Peaks early and tricking the manager and the kid working there, that was just funny. I didn't do any of that. I mean, that's just, come on. You know what I'm saying. Um, you know what? I think Barnes and Nobles is going to forgive me when my 30-something book comes out in 2017. I'm sure they're not going to, like, put it in, you know, um, how to build a wagon section or, or rip the cover off or things like that. No, I think we're going to be fine. Let's listen to Mark Frost. Let's get off this subject. I really like the structure of your book. It's like an epistolary novel. Uh, how yes. Did, yeah. Wh- um, why did you take that approach to telling the story? I wanted the ability to tell the story in a bunch of different voices. Mm. Twin Peaks is uh, the story not just of one person or a few people. It's the story of the town. Mm. And it seemed to me the the best way to accomplish that was to tell the story from this very subjective point of view, meaning somebody could tell their story, then somebody else could tell theirs. And mm. we, we have people commenting on the stories. And so it, it felt a little bit more like a mosaic, a historic mosaic that gave you a, a three-dimensional picture of the town that wasn't just, you know, place and and the people, but also the effect of time as a third mm. dimension to see how the town developed and what people contributed to it and, and so forth. That was the approach to decided on. What do you hope people get out of this book? Like, what do you hope the fans think of the book? Well, I think that's, uh, I never try to kind of direct people toward what I think their mm. reaction should be. Yeah. To me, a, a book is a, it's a sort of gift you leave by the side of the road, and it's up to the person, the passerby, who picks it up and has a look to decide what it is and what they get from it. Mm. Um, my, my hope would be that it, that it gives you a, a read that is an experience that in its own right uh, stands alone, but one that also enriches and, and deepens your appreciation and um, knowledge of this world that um, so many people seem to like to visit. So uh, you played a reporter on in Twin Peaks. Cyril Pond. Cyril Pond, yeah. yeah. I don't know if you know that. So in the 1920s, 1930s, there were these tribute Sherlock Holmes books, Solar Ponds. I, we were wondering if maybe you got the last name from that character. Uh, you're the first person who's ever picked up on that. But yes, that was a little bit of an homage. I think I posted something about saying it was Ponds with a D. And Mark Frost responded to me, I believe, and, and, and clarified that it was an N. And I think I again posted again with, with the D. And it took it probably took me twice to realize, oh, he really means that is his last name, P-O-N-S. And you're arguing with the... With the, with the creator of, <laughs> of Twin Peaks. He's like, I know what I'm talking about. And the reporter was also in Storyville, where I think maybe he was deleted out, but originally Mark Frost played both the reporter in Twin Peaks and then he was going to be in the movie Storyville. Great job, Ben and Brian, in getting Mark Frost. You know, we're all out here and we love Twin Peaks and we're doing all this stuff, but to be able to have the moment where you get to talk 
to one of the creators of this masterpiece is something you guys should really be proud of. And I mean, in all seriousness, like that is an achievement to get Mark on your show and great job. One of the greatest things that happened to me this year was getting to go to the Great Southern and do a panel with David Bushman, Arthur Smith, Brad Dukes, John Thorne, and Twin Peaks Unwrapped recorded it, and they played the panel on their show. It was really cool. I hope it gets to be a yearly event. I loved getting to host a panel. Um, Just as an aside, it's kind of funny. The Great Southern actually did not blackmail me to get them to host their panel. You know, they could have... They actually asked me early and I prepared, which, I mean, I know Ben and Brian sort of have their way of doing things, but, you know, I'm just saying. Uh, Let's take a listen to a snippet of that panel from the Great Southern. Just to start off with, I have this idea that Twin Peaks has two sides to it, the Laura Palmer side and the Agent Cooper side. And I'm curious if each of the panel would go down and say which side you would fall on is who leads the story of Twin Peaks. Is the story of Twin Peaks that Laura Palmer leads you through it, or is it Cooper as being the fresh eyes to it? Um, Arthur, you go first. Which side would you say, I mean, we love them both, but if you had to pick, which side you fall on? Right, well, I guess in classical narrative terms, Cooper would be the protagonist. Um, He's our sort of point of view character and way in through most of the series. And we actually don't see that much of Laura until Fire Walk With Me. Um, so for me, Cooper is really the character I follow. All right, Dave? I would, say, I would agree, agree with that um, from, a, from a narrative point of view. And I think the other point that Arthur didn't mention specifically is that Cooper more or less arrives in uh, Twin Peaks when we do. He's the outsider. And uh, Laura, of course, lives there. And um, you know, she's been there all her life. So I think, I think we're meant to identify with Cooper. I think Laura Palmer, I don't think she was meant to be such a huge character. Like, I think the character in the mystery sort of took on a life of its own. And people from the network that I've talked to at ABC, uh, they didn't really expect Who Killed Laura Palmer to be a national catchphrase. I mean, it was almost like something you'd see on bumper stickers way back when. Mm -hmm. So for me, Dale Cooper's my favorite TV character of all time, so... I think he is the man steering the ship. It's definitely Laura Palmer. (laughs) I I think David Lynch wants you to think it's Laura Palmer. I think that's why he made Firewalk With Me. I think Firewalk With Me is his way of saying, now go back and watch the series and keep all of this about Laura in mind while you watch it. I do believe that the series itself, obviously, is the, is the story of Cooper investigating Laura. But Laura is a presence throughout the show. And then the film really kind of puts her back in the front of everything. So um, I believe that David Lynch wanted you to be thinking of Laura Palmer while you're watching the show. And that's why he made the movie. So I just don't think that that's the same question, though. I think, I think what you're asking, I mean, it's, I think what David Lynch wanted was one thing, and what Mark Frost wanted was something else. But I think what you're asking is how did, I think after David Lynch makes Twin Peaks, he becomes, that becomes just another interpretation of Twin Peaks. So yeah. mm-hmm. I sort of answered that from a personal perspective. Well, I also think it's Laura Palmer. It would be my answer, too. I think that the story of Twin Peaks is the story of Laura Palmer. And I, the way I would prove that would be that the end credits throughout the entire series is her homecoming picture. And, right. you know, and Lynch even puts her face in the coffee cup in the last episode. Right. So I think Laura Palmer is the center that brings it there. Um, but there's no right or wrong answer. It's, it's just fun. So I want to take the audience's poll. Uh, I think the story of Twin Peaks is the story of Betty Briggs. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm curious what the audience thinks. Those of you who, who would say Agent Cooper is, is the path you go down, let's hear a, a round of applause. And what about Laura Palmer? It's evenly split. It's like evenly split, so. Well, Scott, here's something I thought about. Would you recommend somebody who hasn't seen any Twin Peaks, but they know Lynch, they know what they're in for, and they're curious, do you think it would be advisable to watch Fire Walk With Me first? 
Um, I, I, I don't think it would be advisable because I think the fun part of Twin Peaks is, is not knowing who did it. And when you see Firewalk with me, it's just, you know, it's very, it's not surprising at all. Yeah, I have a quick comment about that. That's a, you know, that's a famous question. Should I watch Firewalk with me first or the series first? Because Firewalk with me takes place before. I believe that um, you should watch the series first because it was made first. And then you should watch Firewalk with me. And then you better watch the series again right after you watch Firewalk. I think Firewalk with me demands you watch it again. And you should also read The Secret Diary of Laura Palmer after episode eight, <laughs> but before episode nine. <laughs> and then read Cooper's Diary around episode 13 in season two, I think. Yeah, around that there. sounds right. So there it is, the second annual Twin Peaks Unwrapped Clip Show. I've been uh, playing a little character here, huh? How about that? It's time I admit I was not actually blackmailed to do this. Um, Charlotte Stewart was actually very willing and able that night in the Great Southern, and neither of us care if that footage hits YouTube. Seriously, I want to congratulate Ben and Brian on what they do week in and week out. I've been doing a podcast for, we're going on like five and a half years. We've never done one every week. I mean, maybe in the very, very beginning, but now we're out at like every three weeks or sometimes one a month to keep the pace that Ben and Brian do to do a new thing every week is ridiculous. They will tell you when I talk to them in real life, I beg them, take a week off see your family. Well, maybe not your family. I don't know. That's maybe not a selling point, but to just keep this quality and look at the people they've had. I mean, they had Mark Frost and Hawk and Brad and John and Joel and, and David Bushman and myself. We, we all come on here because we respect them and they do such an amazing job, but they do it week in and week out. That's crazy. I mean, we need to like start a Twitter thing, hashtag take a freaking vacation and get these boys to, to rest up. But you know, I, I guess they won't. They'll still be putting out quality shows. You know, they're covering David Lynch's movies. They, they have these interviews. They're just doing a great job. And it's always been an honor for me that I've been able to come on and talk about whatever I've got going in the Twin Peaks world or anything else. And this community of Twin Peaks people is amazing. You know, we were all on that panel and Peter Dom from Welcome to Twin Peaks was there. And, you know, we all get together and we have this time. Um, Maya, who, who writes Twin Peaks blogs off the Red Room, we get Courtney who helps out. And, you know, I'm leaving out people, I'm sure, and I don't mean to be, but there's a community of Twin Peaks that, you know, is inspired by what Mark and David did. We want to, like, put our two cents in as well, which is why there's so many books out. In fact, while we've recorded this podcast right here, um, Ben and Brian have interviewed three more authors who are writing new Twin Peaks books, and, you know, they've, they've put them out in this amount of time. So thank you for listening to this clip show. Thanks to Ben and Brian for supporting not just your own podcast, but all of Twin Peaks. Follow them on Facebook, uh, follow them on Twitter, and rest assured that while you're at home, sitting there eating a bag of Oreos on the couch, Ben and Brian are out there recording a new podcast just so when you're in the car, you actually don't have to talk to anyone. You can just listen to them. Thanks, and we will see you in those old sycamore trees. Can you kill a clown? They call a Every night Just to sprinkle stardust And to whisper Go to sleep Everything is alright I close my eyes Then I drift away
All audio from today's show was from Silencio, a tribute to the works of David Lynch and Angelo Badalamente. Please check them out at D-E-S-L-E-N-C-I-O dot net. Of course, I actually did sing the opening song, and that is not from Silencio, but, you know, I'm sure it's correct. You guys seem to have a great working chemistry with one another. How did you become friends? How did we become friends, Brad? Oh, man. What's the story behind this? So, the way I remember it, and correct me if I'm wrong. Oh, God. This is going to go way back in the way back machine. Um, I met you going to his Nuntuck because I started community college. community college in Enfield. And they were starting up the radio station. I was interested in that. And I got involved, and you worked for the guy running the radio station. Yes. I can't pinpoint the first day we met. It's no, I weird. can't either. I can't either. I, but the funny thing is, I feel like you've been there forever. I feel like you were always part of that uh, culture. It's so weird. It's just one day you're there on the radio. Yes. <laughs> what year did you start there? What time? In 2002, 2002, maybe. Yeah. I don't think the radio station started until like that time, 2003. Yeah, yeah. So it was a year early. And then I met you around that time. Yeah. Right? I think we're both kind of geeky. I think we're both into uh, like similar, we have similar interests. But I would come around while you guys were doing your show and just say hi. And I knew your, uh, your co-host yep. before you. Yes. So yep. I think that helped that we could hang out a little bit sometimes. Yeah. But it's, but it's funny how like, I think for years people would say you and I should hang out because we were maybe like... So Ben, I was looking for a job. Uh, your you and Tracy, your wife, were gonna have your first baby. Yes. And so Tracy had to leave work, and transitioning were happening at my at LCTV where I work now. And you were like, "Hey Brian, there's gonna be an opening at LCTV. Um, you should go apply." And I did. And I actually came to your work. You helped me with my application. Yeah. Uh, my resume. Resume, right? And you drove me there. Yes. You introduced me to everybody. Oh, to the boss. To the boss, yeah. and I got the job. Yep. Yeah. Yes. And I, so put I, all... I put a good word in for you. Yes. After that, I mean, so your boss would, would always say, why don't you hang out with Brian, or why don't you hang out with Ben? Yes. Because, and and yes. I think my wife would say that, and that. People would always say, like, why aren't we hanging out? And I yeah. do think, we, you know, we do have good chemistry, and we yeah. have very similar taste. And yeah. it's scary. More recently, it seems like we're on the same page <laughs> on things. We write the same things. We say the same things sometimes. So we're I guess, synced. Yeah. Prior to doing the podcast together, we would hang out and talk to each other. Even though I wasn't in the, the Suntech anymore, we would talk about Lost. We went yes. to the Lost uh, event together. Yeah, the theater event. That, you're right. And like you're that. involved with public access. Is that how we would run into each other? Or just, uh, yeah, I mean, it just, I mean, I guess yeah, it, yeah. probably because of my wife, uh, you yeah, work yeah. and stuff too. But yeah, I'm just trying to think. It's funny. It is funny how we always run into each other talking about yeah. video games and movies and TV and uh, so that's how we became friends, right? Yeah. 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 I mean, it's just, it's just uh, been this I, I long... Think we, <laughs> we're like the same person sometimes. Yeah, sometimes so. <laughs> I think it's just a matter of years went by and finally it's like, okay, let's let's really... Ha- we, I think like our friendship really... really Blossomed. Blossomed, yes. Blossomed through this podcast. Yes, I, I, mean, I agree. I feel like now we're... We're talking to each other daily or texting, texting or email and, yeah, and stuff. Whereas yeah, yeah. before this podcast, we would like run into each other every once in a while and say, oh, yeah, do you know? <laughs> yeah, we start like talking forever. Yeah. The friendship has become stronger and I guess blossom is a weird <laughs> word to use, but I'm going <laughs> to use it. <laughs>